Well, good evening. Welcome to Evensong. Uh, tonight we're going to uh, start a new series in the Gospel of... Well, before I even say it, you guys all know the Gospels, right? There's four. There's only four. There's the Gospel of Matthew, the Gospel of Mark, the Gospel of Luke, and John. The early church fathers, they decided that was a good collection for us to have, so they deemed them worthy of being canonized. And the word canon means a collection of sacred texts that are deemed worthy by a consensus of religious leaders. That's a two-part definition, so let's hear it one more time. Our current canon, this giant book right here, the books in the Bible are a collection of sacred texts that have been deemed worthy by a certain group of people. But have we ever asked, who are those people? The people who got to choose what books would and would not be in our Bibles. Just so we make sure, the books of the Bible were not deemed worthy by Jesus, nor Paul. They weren't deemed worthy by angels or spirits, and God did not send them down like he did with Moses on a stone tablet list. Rather, they were deemed worthy by a certain group of priests and bishops who happened to have all one thing in common. Guess what that was? They were men. But there were many sacred texts. If you want to check, just look at the Pew Bible and then go to a Catholic church and you'll see that they have a bigger Bible than us. But it was a certain class of men who had a vision for the kind of religion they wanted to create with a distinct interpretation on what and who Jesus was. These are the ones that decided which sacred books would make it into the canon, into our Bibles. And I know that sounds a little conspiratorial, and that's not my purpose today. I don't want to linger on that and go down that road. I'll get in trouble. I just want us to understand that there were more sacred texts available that didn't make it into the Bible. And that before we label them just oh, those extra books, or worse, demonically inspired, like some priests and bishops do, we might consider the source and reasons behind, behind why some of the books were actually left out. We've grown a bit since the year zero. It's been 2,000 years. We're a little bit smarter than the people back then, no offense. They likely believed that the earth was flat and that our planet was at the center of the universe. They didn't know what we knew, what we know today. They were limited by knowledge, limited by science, limited by their culture and worldview. They lived in a time of slavery, child labor, and surely any book written by women, women who claimed to know Jesus better than the apostles, would absolutely be left out of the story, left out of that holy canon. And one need not look far, you probably even know the stories, to see the attitudes towards women in Scripture. Jesus always had both groups in his party. Jesus took time to teach women and include them in his merry band. But the other disciples can be shown as not being too happy about that. 
in John chapter 4, the famous encounter of Jesus with the woman at the well, we can see the apostles' reaction when Jesus is found alone to be teaching a woman the truth about the kingdom. After Jesus gave her a secret teaching about the true way to worship, that it would not be on mountains or in temples, but rather anybody could find God. All they need to do is just look inside to the inner sanctuary. The 27th verse of John chapter 4 gives the apostles reaction to seeing all this happen. Just when the disciples came back to the well, they had run into town to get Jesus some food, they were astonished that he was speaking with a woman. But no one said to her at the time, what do you want, woman? And to Jesus, why are you even speaking to her? But they included those attitudes in the scriptures. Another time when Jesus was about to be turned over to the authorities for blasphemy, Mary of Magdala, Mary Magdalene, sees the stress that Jesus is under. She knows that his new interpretation of the Bible is going to get him executed. And so she opens an expensive bottle of perfume and pours its rich contents over Jesus' head as a way of anointing him. Matthew 26 tells us that Jesus is so comforted by this moment. Someone finally saw what he was going through, that he was troubled. But his disciples were not happy with Mary and were told their response in Scripture. When the disciples saw this happen, they were angry and said, why did you waste that bottle of perfume? We could have sold it. Early on, while Jesus didn't draw any lines on who could follow him and participate in the work he was doing, it was the apostles who didn't appreciate women being invited to the table. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, a chapter right after that uh, chapter on love, the one we all, you know, love is the most supreme thing. If you just turn the page to chapter 14, we get some instructions on how we should run church. We're told there should be a hymn. We got that, right? We do hymns. We're told there should be a lesson. We, We do that. There should be some prayer, maybe a prophetic word, it says, and an interpretation. I used to read that passage sometimes before Evensong, but I always knew to stop short right before the next line. It comes out of nowhere. After all that nice language, it says this. As in all the churches of the saints, women should be silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be subordinate, as the law says. If there's anything they desire to know, they can ask their husbands when they get home. For it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Well then. This along with other passages of the Bible show that while women were present in the life of Jesus, they often were intentionally kept in the background. Despite what they had to offer. And it was this, if, and if this was the full story, if that was the, the full truth, that would be quite sad. If these were the only sacred texts, we too might have to do what I did. Stop reading or skip over that passage in embarrassment at these poor views towards women in the early church. 
But as I said before, we're a bit wiser than they were back then, at least when it comes to these matters. Just like the Constitution has archaic language around certain people groups and excluded women from participating in government, amendments were made to change that sacred book that guides our whole society. Today, I want us to consider other documents that have been discovered, sacred texts written around the same time as our current Gospels, texts that give women their voice in the Gospel story. Maybe after some time and considerable thought, church leaders might reconsider books deemed not worthy, maybe give them their due place in the canon. In the meantime, here at Evensong, we're going to deem them worthy tonight. Let's just pretend. Might we have the courage to explore these sacred texts that were deemed unworthy by people who had an old way of thinking? And might we, as the children of the promise, be led by the Spirit to right the wrongs of the past so that we can fulfill what Jesus actually told his disciples? He said, one day, you're going to do greater things than me. So, to the Bible story. When all the disciples ran off scared, when they had given up on Jesus after his death, denying they ever knew him, it was the women who did not give up. You can read that right in the story. When doubt and fear had seized the apostles who had followed Jesus to the end, they started dropping off like flies. Jesus didn't bring any tangible kingdom like they thought. He didn't have powerful positions of authority to offer them, although Peter did ask him to sit. Can I sit at your right hand, Peter? Mary didn't have that kind of desire. She loved Jesus as a student loves or admires her teacher. She saw his selfless way of living his courage, and she understood more than any other disciple what Jesus was doing with his life. Jesus had found the way to God within himself, and he was teaching others how to do the same. He wasn't coming to establish another religion or more churches. He was coming to make, quote, living stones, he uses this term, that God would use to create a living temple from the one that already existed inside of us. To date, grab it. To date, we have discovered three uh, papyri with fragments of the Gospel of Mary. This was very shocking, because usually they might find one and think it's a forgery or fake, but they found three. One in the fifth century, and then two that go back to the second century. That's when the Gospels were written, when most of the Bible was, was put together. So just so you know, before our sacred books actually became books, they started out as oral traditions, like sermons, like this. And I would be surprised if Mary actually wrote anything down. In the same way, I'd be surprised if Jesus could have even written. And so while we have two copies from the second century... The narratives themselves likely existed in some form even earlier than that. 
The story of how they were discovered and how long it took for them to even get into our hands is fascinating. I'd encourage you to go buy the book, Mary of Magdala, by Karen King, a Harvard uh, scholar. It's on Amazon. And you'd be able to get the full background on the story. Sometimes you see things on the History Channel and they're a little fuzzy. You've got to make sure you have the right people, the right scholars. People want to make it bigger or more fantastic than it is. But the, the real story is just as interesting. So to sell the idea of you buying this book, I get no profit from it. Uh, let me just tell you a little bit about what's in it. As you might imagine, the disciples were afraid to go preach the gospel of the good news after Jesus died. The gospel of Mary gives us a look at the drama that occurred behind the scenes as disciples that denied and left Jesus when he was alive now wondered if they would continue the great commission he had asked them to live out. In the passage from the Gospel of Mary we're looking at today, this is what it says. The students were grieved after Jesus died. They wept profoundly. How are we going to go to the Gentiles and preach the gospel of the kingdom? If they didn't spare Jesus, they won't spare us. They're worried that if they go and do what Jesus did, what would happen to Jesus would happen to them. And that's a pretty legit concern. But as they were in their despair, as they sat there, the passage of Mary continues. Then Mary stood up, greeted them, and said to her brothers, Do not weep and do not grieve or be irresolute, for his grace will be fully with you and will protect you. Rather, let us praise his greatness. He prepared and made us fully human. Mary knew what Jesus taught. They weren't called to go make churches and colonize the world with Christianity. Jesus had asked them to spread the good news that God doesn't have to be worshipped in temples. That's literally what he said. And when he died, guess what? Guess what the church fathers did? Built temples everywhere. They did exactly what he said not to. Jesus asked them to go spread the good news that God is found in us and not in religious rituals and scripts or traditions that nobody seems to get anything out of these days. That's why they called it good news. You already had it. And we're told that you didn't. Mary was the comforter here in this situation. She calmed them down. She was their advocate. She was their reminder to what Jesus had really taught them. This wasn't a new religion. Why would Jesus come, end a religion, and then start a new one? Why would he do that? He preached against religion. What Jesus taught was that the gift of enlightenment was for the average person. Anybody can have it. So when Mary said all of this, when she calmed them down, she turned their hearts good. They cheered up. And they began to discuss the words of the Savior. They started to remember again what he taught. And Peter said to Mary, Sister, we know that the Savior loved you more than any other women. Tell us the words of the Savior that you remember, which you know and we do not know. 
we have not heard them. As I teach at Evensong, Jesus always taught in what? Parables, riddles. And so while it sounds like this is a secret teaching or a hidden teaching, I would wager that Jesus had taught it many times. But like he used to say, they lacked the eyes to see and the ears to hear what he was saying. And this can happen often. I, too, preach with riddles, with wisdom hidden in the message. And sometimes you guys surprise me and you get them. And you come up to me and say, oh, I heard what you said there. I always tell people, come to church expecting. Don't come just saying, oh, when, when it'll be over at one, at six. Come expecting something. Come seeking. Come looking. That's what Jesus' commandments were. Ask, seek, and knock. When you do that, you might discover something. Mary was a true seeker. She was a true student. This is what students should be like, seeking, wanting to learn. So she had eyes and ears to hear what Jesus taught. Peter wants her to share her interpretations, her understandings. Mary answered, saying, what is hidden from you, I'll reveal to you, Peter. So she began to speak these words to the disciples, saying, I saw the Lord in a vision, and said to him, Lord, I saw you in a vision today. He answered and said to me, Blessings on you, Mary, since you did not waver at the sight of me. Where the mind is, there is the treasure. Where the mind is, that's where the treasure is. Hold on to that. That's the gold right here. This is what sometimes we miss as spiritual people. Mary said to him, Lord, how does a person see a vision? Through a soul or through a spirit? Has anybody here ever seen a soul or a spirit? Do you see them now? In this spiritual place where souls gather? Probably not. People think they may have seen such things, but Jesus is going to set this all straight. Jesus says to Mary, as Mary's teaching the disciples, the Savior answered, saying, a person doesn't see either through the spirit or the soul. The mind, which lives between the two, that's actually what sees the vision. This is where the lesson to the disciples from Mary ends. These were the ones who thought Jesus to be dead, and they wanted to know, is he still alive? if he was coming back. As Easter comes closer, wouldn't it be nice if Jesus showed up? It's been a heck of a year. It's about time, right, Jesus? Mary teaches the disciples what they had a hard time grasping. Jesus would never appear in the form of a spirit to them in the same way he hasn't done for us. Jesus is not a ghost. There's no such thing as ghosts. But she does teach them how she learned to still meet with her beloved teacher after his death. And when I was four, I lost my dad. Sometimes I would say, I wonder if you're still out there. I'd say, Are you, show yourself to me. 
Never had any luck with that. But this passage of Mary tells me, it tells me where I can find him and where I can find all of those that have passed on. I can find them in my mind. They're not out there as some ghost or some apparition. They're there. I'll prove it to you right now. Just remember those people. They're there. I can remember them. I can meditate on their lives. The fun times we had, I can imagine them. In our minds, we can construct the memory of those who've passed on. And when we accept that that's a reality, when we interact with those memories, watch. I don't have to tell you about a kingdom, about people that will come back. You, it's already, it's already been proven. Watch, they'll come to life. In that hidden, nobody sees what's going on in your mind. In that hidden and real sanctuary that Jesus taught exists inside of us. It's not fake. The disciples wanted something more. They wanted Jesus to come out of the clouds. Remember I taught a couple weeks on riding on a white horse. I actually just Googled Jesus coming back with a sword. I thought, that's kind of ridiculous. There he is. Thousands of paintings with him on a sword coming out of the cloud. They wanted some spiritual kingdom. You know those guys? The kingdom's coming. Repent. It's near. Jesus said it was already here. You just don't see it. See, Mary gave them the secret wisdom that they didn't know Jesus already taught them. So she became their teacher. That's why you don't hear about Mary. She became the apostle's teacher. The teacher to the teachers. And she assured them Jesus was alive. Who was the first one to find her? Mary. (laughs) Jesus was alive. He was alive in their minds. And if they remembered him, they would see that he only left physically. We don't get taught this stuff in church regularly, so it might sound a little different. But it really wasn't. Let us hear exactly what Jesus said would happen when he died. Watch this. Because we often over-spiritualize Jesus to the point that we can't see or hear that he's literally describing something that would actually take place. Because what Mary just did in this passage that we never have seen is spoken about before it happens. And if we have ears to hear, we're going to hear it right now. Listen to this reading from the Gospel of John. That was deemed worthy. It's in chapter 16. And before Jesus died, he says this to his disciples. He said, I didn't tell you, disciples, I didn't tell you this earlier because I was with you every day. But now I'm on my way to the one who sent me. Not one of you has asked, where are you going? Instead, the longer I talk, the sadder you've become. So let me say it again. This is the truth. It's better for you that I leave. 
If I don't leave, the friend won't come. I still have many things to tell you, but you can't handle them now. But when the friend comes, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Truth, she will guide you by the hand and guide you into all the truth there is. She won't draw any attention to herself, but will make sense out of everything that is about to happen. Indeed, out of all that I have done and said. She will honor me, and she will take from me and deliver it to you. While the Gospel of Mary didn't make it directly into the canon, we see Jesus left us with a clue. Maybe he knew what the guys would do. And while some still resist this, that this gospel maybe shouldn't be considered as canon, take the gospel of Mary and line it up with what Jesus said in John 16. Isn't the work of the friend, the work of the Holy Spirit, what Mary ended up doing? What I read to you before, what is she doing? She's comforting, she's reminding, and she's guiding these disciples in their doubt and confusion. She did not assume to take power or credit. We never heard of her. We never heard these stories. Instead, she pointed always to Jesus, just like the Holy Spirit is often told, about, described of. She pointed to Jesus and Jesus pointed to her in the Gospel of John. We wouldn't have the Bible, the New Testament, if it wasn't for the, the disciples all of a sudden getting courage when they were scared and afraid. Who inspired them? May our minds be open to the work that Jesus and Mary are still doing in this world. We know where to find them now in our minds. As we read these texts, as we listen to the next few sermons, our minds will light up anew, just as it happened with those doubting disciples when she reminded them of who they were, when they remembered that they were from the light, and that as long as we can call on the name of Jesus, in our minds, he truly lives forever in these inner sanctuaries.